0: Every patient that that a pulmonary hypertension that I experienced with or that had the pleasure to take care of, they all had right side of heart failure as well. It just that's gonna be like your main indicator. Some people might some people that have pulmonary hypertension also have right side of heart heart failure. And how it gets diagnosed is because they catch the right side of heart failure. And then kinda of figure out, like, hey, why does this person have right side of heart failure? Well, is because they also have pulmonary
1: Oh I gotta go. Hey. I've been working, told them, please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bruh, just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I saw I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog, that's why I paid on my fees. I was starving for this game, now my fan they can't eat. Hey everyone, before we shut the show, a quick word from our sponsor, the American Nurse Association. The ANA is a place to go for all of our nursing education, and today, the ANA is offering 25% off all site items, save on all online courses, books, workshops, and more. Use code HOLIDAYSALE21CHECKOUT for your discount.
0: But wait, there's more. The ANA is also offering a next level leadership workshop for all current nurse managers, and a new nursing manager workshop for all oncoming nurse managers. Make sure you guys click the link in the description to find out more. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Couple of Nurses podcast with your hosts, Matt and myself, Peter. For all of you that don't know, make sure you check out nurses.com. We keep all our show notes there, all our links, all our episodes. And also, we are on YouTube. Make sure you check out us on YouTube. We got every episode that we record is on YouTube. We have vlogs there. We're also doing nursing debriefments. And we're always thinking of doing some new content. We're actually thinking about... Creating some meme reviews or real slash TikTok reviews, uh, where we could you know have some fun with other people's content. Also, make sure you check out WeAreFrontlineWarriors.com for your latest mindfulness wellness tips. We got a bunch of blog posts there. We also have some more nurse related blog posts on CompanyNurses.com, but WeAreFrontlineWarriors.com is the area for more of like a conscious and mindful kind of reading day that you could take part in. Um, we also have Pronto. Coming up, this is a site and app that we are currently working on for all your travel nurses out there. Also, actually, for any nurse that is looking for education, a new job opportunity, just a new opportunity in life, we want to assist you with basically attaining your full potential in your nursing
1: career and your nursing aspirations. So what's up, Matt? Doing well, man. It's 2 a.m. here, guys. So shout out to Night Shift. We're cranking out a late night podcast episode. Mm -hmm. But tonight... We're going to talk about pulmonary hypertension, the five different groups of pulmonary hypertension, some nursing management and interventions of what we do, and also the causes. So we're going to go depth into pathophysiology and understand the whole disease process. And if these are episodes that you guys enjoy as far as talking about different disease processes, like heart failure, you name it, let us know and we'll do more of these kind of episodes. Yeah, I would say
0: pulmonary hypertension is more of like an ICU topic, Uh of, you know, you could say because I know that you have pulmonary hypertension patients in like med areas and in different kind of uh, units, units but I feel like to get a full understanding and a grasp of pulmonary hypertension, you're going to have to see it in the ICU because that's when we have them hooked up to something to call it, like a swan which is a pulmonary artery catheter where you can see all the pressures in their, you could partially in their lungs and throughout their heart. And it gives you a better understanding of like the disease process compared to somebody that's like on like a regular floor where they're just coming there for a little bit of like a symptom management
1: kind of standpoint. 100%. And pulmonary hypertension is literally the name hypertension in the lungs. And it's usually caused by a multitude of things, but the it's affecting the arteries in the lungs and the, the back of the buildup of blood from the left side or sometimes the right side, which is causing this hypertension. And these patients could get really, really sick, Uh, especially even with COVID. Uh, This is something that we were seeing as soon as the left side of the heart gave out with COVID, the cytokine storm, which uh, that's one of the pathophysiology of pulmonary hypertension is this endothelial proliferation and dysfunction that's causing cytokine storm to be released that was just really nasty for the lungs, the heart. Yeah, ultimately,
0: you're basically, your pulmonary vasculature and pulmonary system, it it becomes, or it's in a state of, you could say, of, of high pressure, which then changes the osmotic pressures in, in like, you know, your pulmonary system, you could say. And ultimately, this widespread inflammation causes, you could say, an increase in, and you water, I don't want to say water retention, but water permeability. And what happens is you have this high pressure and also you have this buildable fluid and it's not being able to be cleared properly. And you get this pulmonary hypertension that's very damaging and very sickening because the crazy thing is that left side of your heart failure, what Matt was saying can cause pulmonary hypertension and this pulmonary hypertension and left side of heart failure could then it cause right side of heart failure. And then you have full blown heart failure and you get put on a transplant list where you need a new heart and possibly a new lung. And your chances of survival are actually very low once you get a full-blown heart failure. It's very scary and very damaging to, to your overall life progression. It's scary stuff. It's very intense in the ICU.
1: Yeah, it's, it's wild how it's affecting both sides. So you have the left side and then you know diseases like COPD, whatever, where the, the alveoli and all this vasculature becomes stiff and hard. And... Not being able to transfer oxygen, it just starts putting strain on the right side. Mm-hmm. So as far as diagnosis, just like Pete said, you have to put the um, swan-gans catheter in and anything above 25 milligrams of mercury, that is a diagnosis of pulmonary hypertension. Yes, that's regarding the
0: mean part pulmonary artery pressure. If that's above, if that's 25 or, or above,
1: that's pulmonary hypertension. Yeah. Uh, did I say below? No, you just said that the pressure. You didn't say The what pressure, pressure, got it. And the other one is the echocardiogram. So this is not a definite diagnosis. The hallmark is the, the Swan Gans catheter. But here you could also like see the velocity. So the echotech is able to see the size of the heart. And they could they could look at the tricuspid valve and see how much velocity is being shot, shot from the pulmonary artery. Versus the right uh, right ventricle mm-hmm. and comparing the velocity rates. And then they could kind of see that there's a lot of pressure buildup. And that's based on a calculation. And that's why it's not a definite diagnosis because that's only a calculated idea based on this image, ultrasound of the heart.
0: And for you that have never seen a Swan Gans catheter or a pulmonary artery catheter, so it's a really long catheter that gets inserted into your. Your greater, greater vessels, which can be your inferior vena cava or your superior vena cava, then it goes into your right atrium, goes through a tricuspid valve, and through the right ventricle, through the pulmonic valve, all the way to your pulmonary artery, and that's where it measures the pressure. So, with a Swan Gans catheter, you can get the pressure in your pulmonary, pulmonary artery, as well as the pressure in your right atrium, and also the pressure in your right ventricle. So, you get a lot of data in that standpoint. And for you, ICU junkies over there, um, some numbers to kind of consider and keep in mind when you're working with a SWAN GANS catheter is going to be the pulmonary artery pressure. And a normal pulmonary artery pressure, it's kind of like, uh, it's mapped out like the blood pressure that give a systolic and a diastolic. So we always say quarters over dimes. So you want to have your systolic, of your pulmonary artery pressure to be anywhere between 15 to 20, 25, and then your dial stock to be anywhere between 8 and 15. That's kind of like the gold standard, of course, depending on what hospital you're in, it might fluctuate by a few numbers. Uh, also a good number to consider is the mean pulmonary artery pressure. So that's the one that Matt mentioned, if that one's 25 and above, you have pulmonary hypertension. So normally if you don't have pulmonary hypertension, that pressure is anywhere from 10 to 20. A normal CVP, which is something that we also get off the Swangans catheter. Normal CVP is anywhere from two to six. And of course it could be maybe five to 10. It depends on, on where you're at as a facility. Some people do five to eight, it just depends. A few numbers off, but generally two to six is also a good gauge. And also the pulmonary artery wedge pressure, that is normally between six and 12. And what's cool about that is on the tip of the ganz catheter, the tip that gets inserted in your pulmonary artery, there's a little balloon there because balloon when you enter this this line, you don't just push it through, you actually inflate the balloon, and it goes through your atrium, your ventricle, and then it gets stuck and wedge into a pulmonary artery. So to check the pulmonary artery wedge pressure, what you'd simply do is just inflate the, the balloon, and it senses that pressure, and it's called your pulmonary artery wedge pressure. And of course, another thing that you can calculate with this Swan-Ganz catheter and a proper monitor is going to be the SVR, which is the systemic vascular resistance. And for that, that's anywhere from 700 to 1,500, uh, depending on your facility, might be a few hundred off. So check out your definitely protocols and also your cardiac output. So your cardiac output is a very important number that we pay attention to when you have pulmonary hypertension. It's also very important in in your overall heart health and in diagnosing heart failure that you want anywhere from about four to eight. And, you know, to get your cardiac output, it's, it's an equation that you need the SVR for and a few other numbers. And you basically put it into like this equation and you get the cardiac output, which is, uh 48, you could say liters a minute. And that's how much your that's how much blood your heart
1: actually pumps out. That's a yeah. great cardiac crash course there. Real quick. So the World Health Organization labeled pulmonary hypertension to five different groups. So we'll go over each individual group and what's causing it and finding out some interesting facts mm-hmm. about it. So the first one is just pulmonary arterial hypertension PAH and it has an unknown cause idiopathic And we're going to go over the causes. And they think it's more endothelial dysfunction. Mm -hmm. It could be impaired vascular dilation. There could be alterations to the expression of nitric oxide, so the lack of vasodilation in these patients. There's also increased expression of inflammatory cytokines, which causes loss of endothelial Cavillan-1. So, And there's also which is a breakdown of proteins and peptides and amino acids in these enzymes. So it gets really deep into what's happening. That's why we don't know what the exact cause is, but clearly inflammation is never a great thing in everything that we talk mm-hmm. about. And it goes with diabetes, too. You know, diabetes is chronic widespread inflammation. Yes. Uh, there's also, uh, you're born with it, and it also could pro- progress in this d- disease process. It could be changes pace, uh, based on genes. It could be conditions such as liver disease, HIV, cirrhosis, and also be could be collagen vascular disease. And this is the autoimmune, autoimmune disorders that are causing this endothelial dysfunction and the cytokine inflammation. And that's with things such as uh, lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. Mm.
0: group number two is going to be the group that is affected by the left side of the heart. So this is your pulmonary hypertension that is caused by left-sided heart failure for whatever reason that could be. Maybe you have a congen- congenital defect that affects your left side of the heart, which then throws you into pulmonary hypertension, or you could have suffered an, an MI, which affects the left ventricle of your heart, which then a hypertrophies and it causes the lungs and right side to work harder, which then eventually is going to cause pulmonary hypertension. So usually, if it's a reversible cause, if you reverse the left-sided heart failure or you make it better, usually you make the pulmonary hypertension better as well. And then the third group is pulmonary hypertension caused by lung disease. So this is an issue with the lung and uh, respiratory system itself. So it could be from chronic obstructive diseases like COPD, uh, emphysema. You could have sustained lung damage somewhere at some point in your life. It's anything that has to do with the structure of your lungs and your lungs not functioning properly because obviously if you have a Higher buildup of pressures in your lungs, eventually, you're going to throw yourself into something more serious that's going to be pulmonary hypertension.
1: What's also wild about this group is that sleep apnea is Mm. also a cause of this.
0: I feel like sleep apnea, if I know we, I'm not sure if we did an episode on it, but or we read it, uh, or we listen to a podcast about it, but sleep apnea has a lot of detrimental effects. You know, how a lot of people don't know how important your dental health is, a lot of dental health gets neglected yeah, yeah. gets neglected, and it stems into systemic problems. Same with sleep apnea, if that's not controlled properly, that that is, sleep apnea is a, is a risk for heart disease as well and for heart failure. So it impacts your life to a, probably a greater
1: extent than, than you have thought. Cause you need to be perfusing. That's just the, like breath is the baseline of the human body. Mm-hmm. And what sleep apnea is causing is hypoxic pulmonary vasoconstriction and pulmonary venous hypertension with an abnormal production of mediators so it's a breakdown of these vascular cells because of long-term chronic hypoxia essentially yeah, it's crazy so geez man breath is so important yeah. and it's crazy how like all these things
0: p- play play into this you know it's what's well, think about how hey it can start from let's just say less out of your heart and now it affects your lungs or the problem started in your lungs but since it's a uh, pressure issue now your right side has to work, work hard and it's just a game of pressure. So whatever wherever there's a built-up or increase in, in a need for pressure, the thing before it is going to suffer the most. Like it's if you have pulmonary hypertension, your right side of the heart is going to fail is going to struggle the most because it's pushing against those pressures. So it's crazy how things get backed up and how your multi system body is is a, is affected completely by just one system. It's crazy how one system could affect all the other ones. Yeah,
1: that's why sepsis is so wild too, mm-hmm. to think about because it leads to multi-organ failure, which is actually another cool podcast episode to do. Uh, even like group one, which blew my mind, is we always look at the immune system as fighting off bacteria and infections. We never think about how it's uh, causing inflammation, how inflammation works to uh, boost our immune system mm-hmm. or how... In this case, the clustering of macrophages and T lymphocytes are co- are causing vascular lesions that are that have been reported and associated with um, pulmonary hypertension. Right, it's it's crazy. And as well, like over time, like I'd say, when
0: we were sixteen years old, eighteen years old, we didn't hear as much about gut health as, as we do now. Now we're learning that gut health plays in, into so many things, and that now we see it plays pulmonary hypertension. We see it with Alzheimer's. We see it with neurodegenerative disorders, we see it with autoimmune issues. Like I can't believe that the gut plays this much roles in, in the whole body and it just shows you how our body is made uh, made to be approached with a holistic approach because one system affects all the other ones. And, it, and it's crazy thing about how something might stem from the gut or might stem from somewhere else and impact the rest of the body, especially if it's like a, like a neuro issue, for example. I know we're not talking about neuro issues, but neuro issues seem to have a pretty good link to like the gut, which is what's
1: mind my list. I know it's pulmonary hypertension, but it's always good to bring up. 100%. Mm-hmm. So group number four is pulmonary hypertension caused by chronic blood clots. And this is why they recommend these patients to get on anticoagulants sometimes. These chronic mm-hmm. blood clots can cause areas of the vascular that's not getting enough oxygen. It could cause stiffening and it could, it could lead into eventually PEs, which is... Life-threatening, so you mm. definitely need to either get an embolectomy or whatever the the procedure there might be. Yeah, PE's are, are really scary, especially like when somebody has one and it's like a new PE,
0: and he's he has like coagulopathies going on and issues of coagulation. Like having a PE patient like that with all these coagulation issues, that's something real scary because they yeah. could literally drop and die at at any time, and you won't even know. It's scary because it's internal. We can't we can have this patient under like an MRI or a CT or always, we, we can't always see what's going on in, in the body because it's not it's not safe because of all the radiation and all that, that would be ideal to do, but we can't. So people are just with PEs and coagulation issues, they just die like real quick and real,
1: all, all of a sudden and it's wild. The first patient I had off orientation as an ICU nurse was a patient that uh, got a PE from a blood clot I think she, I don't know if she was smoking or not, but she was in nursing school, man. Mm-hmm. And it's wild because the way the story plays out is she- was in nursing school? She was in nursing school, got a PE, like that's got coded and yeah, actually like she actually made it. Like I remember the first time I, that's the first patient I think I've seen. Um, I don't think it's the first one, but anyways, getting like extubated, once. which brought a long memory for me. Just mm-hmm. that satisfaction of knowing that we did something great. Patient survived and what's wild is she went back to nursing, she graduated, mm-hmm. and she actually worked in the same hospital. And was she on birth control, do you know? I don't know the uh, mm-hmm. the facts there, but I, she, uh... I think those two things play a huge part. So yeah. yeah,
0: and plus, so if she was in nursing school, so you got a bunch of stress, birth control, probably a, a poor diet, because you got that freshman 15 and a nursing 15 that they t- talk about a uh, lack of exercise because you're so invested in passing nursing school where you're just studying all the time. All that plays a role. And guess what? Poor girl got a, got a blood clot. And it just shows you how the body is should be taken as a, as a holistic approach. That we're this one giant being, being of these multiple systems. But yet, it all works together. Yes.
1: That's wild. Yes. Crazy. Life is... Trip. Life's a trip, yes. It's, it's wild how we're connected. But also, it shows you how the body is dependent on everything. In team environments, you, even though one person doesn't affect everything it, we really do because you need the whole team to function every, every part needs to be moving. So it's, it's a cool concept. Uh, group number five is pulmonary hypertension triggered by other health conditions. And this could be things such as blood disorders. So polycythemia polysthermia vera, which is the, the large abnormal creation of RBCs or essentially thrombocyto is the other word for that. Um, Inflammatory diseases such as vasculitis, when we talked about the endothelial dysfunction, uh, metabolic disorders such as glycogen storage disease, Mm -hmm. and kidney disease because it has a play in uh, the way of uh, the production of red blood cells. Yeah, some
0: of the signs and symptoms you might see with pulmonary hypertension, uh, the first one is going to be the heart sounds, which is a loud P2, which is the uh, closing of the pulmonic valve, also the murmur of a trachopsis, valve uh, regurgitation one of like the main ones you're going to see so if you think about pulmonary hypertension so you see it as this high pressure in, in the lungs so kind of think about what's going to suffer with this high pressure so we think of the blood flow throughout the body it goes from the right side to the lungs to the left side to the body right so from the body to the right side to the lungs to the left side to the body so if you have high pressures in the lungs traffic is going to back up most likely in the beginning. right? So your right side of the heart is going to have to work harder because you have a high pressure in your lungs. So you're going to slowly have a backup and accumulation of fluid uh, throughout the body. So your liver is going to suffer. You might now have something called portal hypertension because of so much of this backed up blood. Uh, You're going to have right side of heart failure you're going to have edema in your extremities because remember everything is getting backed up before it gets to the lungs. So your whole body is going is going to suffer. It's not going to be an issue of the blood getting to the organs. It's the issue of blood coming back from the organs to get reoxygenated. But eventually, down the right down the line, it's going to be an issue of both blood going to the organs and blood leaving the organs. But for right now, in the beginning stages, it affects more of the right side, and you get this pooling of. Pooling and slowing of the blood on the right side of your body, so as it enters the heart, and that's you're yeah. going to have those main signs and symptoms.
1: And if you pull up an EKG, that is going to indicate like a peaked P wave, and sometimes in a V1 lead, you might have like a large V wave, and also indicating a right uh, bundle branch block. Mm. And we mentioned the whole echo, how that you know you look at the tricuspid valve and you can see the velocity because you're just measuring the the backup of fluid from that pulmonary artery. And the right ventricle. And between that is that regurge that could be happening from too much pressures.
0: Yeah, if you guys you get a chance, I would definitely recommend just taking a look at how the echo looks because it's they literally put this little little thing on the left side of your chest and it visualizes the the heart and the pressures in like a current time basis. So when you look at the screen of the echo, you see different different colors, and those signify the pressures and and the and the blood moving throughout the heart. It looks it looks really cool because it's like a live action, like a, like a CT scan. You have just the image itself, but on an echo, you have a moving heart and a pulsating heart, yeah. and it actually looks really cool. And you can see the pressures.
1: Yeah, fun stuff, and it's colorful. <laughs> so the, the first time I saw one was with my uh, with my dad mm. when he rushed to the ER. But side note. So complications with uh, pulmonary hypertension is the right-sided heart failure and uh, ultimately enlargement of it, and this could be both the left and right side. You know, as you know with like uh, even left-sided heart failure, there's two different kinds. One is the the thickening of the left side where the muscle becomes too thick. There's not enough blood to be circulating the whole entire body, which becomes an issue and failure. And ultimately the dilation of that left ventricle, when it becomes so fatigued where it can't even squeeze the blood flow and it keeps pulling, mm. um, that could lead uh, to blood clots from pulmonary hypertension. So that I risk from developing in the heart or even the lungs from the vasculature and the stiffening, uh, you're going to have arrhythmia such as irregular heartbeat, Or, you know, palpitations, you could get dizzy, you can faint, which could become Mm life-threatening. And the rhythmus could also happen from the lack of oxygen if you uh, get further down the line with everything that's happening with the disease process. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned uh, you could also have uh, bleeding in the lungs, right? Like you you could even be spitting out uh, blood, but it's also like a very... um, it be later that's sign. very very late. Like you're not gonna experience that, and you're on the floor other than the ICU, basically. Yeah.
0: Every patient that that had a pulmonary hypertension that I experienced with, or that I had the pleasure to take care of, they all had right side of heart failure as well. It just that's gonna be like your main indicator. Some people might, some people that have pulmonary hypertension also have right side of the heart, heart failure. And how it gets diagnosed is because they catch the right, right side of heart failure, and then you kind of figure out like, hey, why does this person have right side of heart failure? Well. Is because they also have pulmonary hypertension. They they almost kind of go go hand to hand. And if you're in nursing school, the best thing to keep in mind regarding right-sided heart failure is going to be the pooling and the slowing down of of all the movement of, of blood getting back to the heart. So, like Matt said, that's why that's why we have a high risk for clots because if you have blood moving slowly, you have a increased chance of of coagulation and these and these blood clots. And that's where where this Where the stems from and that also goes into the heart chambers where if you have a nice hollow heart, you could say like we do, it's very nice because it's able to pump efficiently. But once you get this hypertrophy where you have this giant thing of muscle, but yet the hollow portion of it that holds the blood is is smaller because now you have more muscle than actual room in it. Not all that blood has opportunity to to leave because the, the squeeze is not there because you just don't have enough, you could say, strength and amount of blood in there to be squeezed out properly. So you have pooling blood in the heart, and that just also causes more clots, and it's just, it's just a very detrimental disease.
1: Yeah, and a fun fact here, which is something that is not really linked to pulmonary hypertension, is the risk of developing sepsis. Mm. So these patients are going to have a lower cardiac output, and they're going to not perfuse efficiently, just like Pete mentioned, and that's also going to lead poor perfusion in the bowel. So when you're not getting enough blood flow there, that actually causes leaky endothelial barrier. And that's allowing bacteria and toxins to invade, which could lead to sepsis. Mm. A lot of times we get septic patients and we don't know where that where it came from. It could be the sputum or the urine, like how did this infection start? I mean, we already have a bunch of bacteria in the gut. All it takes is just the dilation of this endothelial and not being able to maintain the, maintain the wall and just things just leaking into the blood. Mm. So one of the reasons why pulmonary
0: hypertension is, is detrimental and you could say stems, stems to all these issues is because the main factor that you could say that kills a person is pulmonary hypertension causes a decrease in cardiac output. And that's how much blood your body puts out a minute. And there's three reasons why it decreases cardiac output. Is First of all, is because the hypertrophy of these ventricles that Matt has mentioned multiple times. Uh, the second one is because of this hypertrophy, the ventricle spends more time in a squeeze mode than a relaxed mode. So it, uh, it affects the filling and the workload of the heart. And the you could say the third reason why this increases cardiac output is because eventually all this this issue with this heart, heart hypertrophy and these pressures is that the tricuspid valve starts to give out. So you get trichopsidative valve regurge because you have such an imbalance of pressures where that valve kind of just flips open closed almost whenever it wants so these are the main three things that kind of tie into why pulmonary hypertension is very detrimental is because it ultimately decreases the cardiac output and you're not able to deliver the right amount of blood to the right uh, amount of organs and tissues in your body and you eventually wither away and die
1: which is yeah. pretty fucked up and that and that's why with interventions uh you have to give patients vasodilators so you want to reduce that rv afterload you want to help with the filling so uh you'll get patients on vasodilators like sedanaphil sometimes uh from an icu standpoint what was happening with covid is these patients had such high um wedge pressures we couldn't uh, uh, put them down they went on iv uh pro (laughs) Prostanoids. Yeah, which, what I am I think her modulin might be one of those. Yes. And, and also, uh, like in this ICU, they were giving patients uh, nitric oxide mm. as well. So you could play with those things, but the whole point is to also improve cardiac output and ultimately oxygenation. If this patient is not on the ICU, the first thing you want to make sure is that they're oxygenating properly with everything going on. And some of these patients might have other lung diseases, such mm. as maybe asthma or COPD and they already have that oxygenation issue. Yeah, so the goal of these medication is going to be anything
0: that'll help you decrease these pressures in these lungs and, and in the heart. A lot of times you even give diuretics because if you have less, you could say blood volume, technically your heart and your vessels are going to have a lower pressure because there's less volume to, to push. You wanna have enough RBCs, but that you could say the liquid and the water portion of your blood, we try to get rid of that as much of that as possible. So, so, your your body can function
1: almost to the best optimum that it can with these with this issue that you currently have. Yeah, and sometimes these patients might have issues where they need inotropes, such as dobutamine or mil uh, milrinone. So we need to maintain that cardiac output that's being lost due to the left or the right side of um, heart failure. Yeah, and which unfortunately,
0: pressors and inotropes they're not a you could say a long term solution. I know people that have been sent home on on, on long-term anotropes, where they would get, you know, a, a pig placed and they would be just getting, middle was the most popular one, either that or butamine, they would get set home on that and guess what, they're dependent on this IV bag of, of medication. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that we could do long-term, but it's something that we could do in the time being before we either A, find them a new heart or a new lung or B, we figure out the underlying issue and we solve that and then
1: eventually get them out of this anatropes. Yes. And if they're not in the ICU, they might be on a medication called the Jackson, mm. so that that also has contractility effects, but also helps provi- uh, prevent anti-arrhythmic uh, mm. arrhythmias from happening. Yeah. So a lot of patients might be on a home with that, and then also you want to coagulate them because we've been talking about blood clots that could be arising from that. Yeah, it's
0: probably the biggest ones. I feel like I feel like we give anticoagulation if it's anything heart related. I feel like. We give anticoagulation for anything heart related. I know at my prior hospital, everybody was on an anticoagulation. Everybody was was getting Coumadin, it's because we we don't want because your your blood is circulating so slowly, and plus we're making it uh, more susceptible to clotting because we're also trying to drop this volume. So we have to give you these anticoagulation because you're in like a pro-coagulatory state everywhere, and plus you have this inflammation and the slowing where we have to literally thin out your blood a little bit because we, we don't want you to get a clot, and it's crazy. It's, you're basically
1: on lifelong anticoagulation therapy. And yeah, even in the hospitals, it's such a preventable mm-hmm. disease or an, an event from happening that we're just prophylactically coagulate patients. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really good because imagine of how much things could arise from stagnating of the blood and all that's happening or dehydration, Mm. kidneys like, yeah. We're breeding grounds for bacteria and also blood clots and that's why we're wearing SCDs and are injecting Heparin or Lovinox and all
0: that. it's what it is. You know, you had people that are in a chronic inflammatory state and you throw in COVID into it and you throw in their their other diseases like diabetes and I feel like everybody in the hospital, at least everybody in ICU, is a, a high fall precautions and a high coagulation precautions you could say that's why we we have these these all these steps and these rules with falls and all these steps and rules with anticoagulating a patient it's just like the the i guess you could say the two main risk factors of the icu is, yeah. is and then fall and then also and PP,
1: ppis of course we yeah. all want to have patients on protein pump inhibitors but of course we I want to do a deep dive of a podcast episode talking about why it's maybe not as therapeutic as we once thought. We did an
0: episode on it before. We did an episode of how we did an episode regarding PPIs where they can be more detrimental in causing ulcers than in preventing them. Providing. We did an episode. I'm not sure what episode number it is, but, it was but y'all can look back. But it was really done. Okay, we're
1: ahead of the curve always. <laughs> for the
0: record, you heard it here for You heard it here
1: first, folks. All right, ladies and gents, hope you guys enjoyed this episode about a deep dive into pulmonary hypertension. We maintain great energy, even though it's 2.40 a.m. We finished recording. Thank you, everyone, for always listening and messing out with us. See you guys in the next one. We're going to get some sleep right now. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Peace.